people. And one of, um, that was exactly the time that the movie Prince of Egypt uh, was released. I purposely did not go to see it. I did not want uh, a Hollywood version. <laughs> it's, it's trying to uh, basically capture my mind and my imagination and not be able to release it to the rest as I wanted. But one of, the, one, of the te- one of the teachers in the school decided, was asked to write a, a guide, a, a study guide to, the, to, to help uh, students, educators uh, deal with the issues that the movie raised. He asked that I should read the, the guide. Irresponsibly, I did. Even though I hadn't seen the movie, I was willing to read his, uh, his talking points. And uh, though he was pretty critical, he, there was one point which he emphasized he said he really enjoyed the music and the singing and, and all the songs in, in the movie, which, of course, is basically projecting, if you want, uh, the image of uh, 19th century slavery, at least in Hollywood, onto uh, Mitzrayim. And I, I, I remember coming to him at the time. It disturbed me very much. It took me a while to figure out. And I realized the way I view this, the way I understand what happened in Egypt, no one was singing. The suffering was too deep. It was too deep. The people were much too broken to be able to really engage in song. And uh, this really got me thinking. There are various models of slavery: there's economic slavery, the slavery in which uh, the relationships between master and slave are relatively good. Think about a British butler or, or whatsoever, or Tevi Avdosh Rabban Gamliel. But Gamliel and Tevi get along perfectly. Uh, and uh, you have, of course, uh, you know, the opposite extreme uh, of concentration camps and, uh, and work camps and whatnot. And uh, basically, I think the question that uh, obviously uh, suggests itself, what kind of slavery did Amisho experience in Egypt? What was the experience over there? To, to properly appreciate uh, the Geulah, you have to also understand the Galut. What, to understand how you redeemed or from what you redeemed, you have to understand how much suffering there was or not. And um, this is the question I have to pose tonight. What exactly is the amount, the level of suffering that the are experiencing? The psukim give hints, and one can certainly read into the psukim uh, uh, and interpretation. Nevertheless, it's not 100% clear. I think the Midrashim do a bit more, and they're different also Midrashim as they want to be. There are different opinions, different perspectives. Um, I'll present a particular interpretation. Seems to me pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, I once gave the share, and some said it's obvious. So I said, say that, but nevertheless. Uh, but uh, before I do that, I, I would like to uh, just uh, start with, another, with an additional introduction. Pesach night. We have a mitzvah, Sipuit Zat Mitzrayim. The mitzvah is to tell the story how we left Egypt. Now, we have, of course, a daily mitzvah to remember how we left Egypt every day. We have Zichirat Yitziat Mitzrayim, meaning remembering that we left Egypt. And we also have Sipur. There are different verbs. Presumably, there are different ideas. Interestingly, the Nitziv in this commentary in Agada, he claims that they're one and the same. That's really the same mitzvah to constantly remember what happened in Egypt and to remember the whole story. Just he claims that 
if I'll tell the story every night to my children, they get bored and they will be quite upset that every night I'm telling this long story, which takes two hours to tell. So every night we just mention in code. Don't forget the well-known story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And we leave it at that. Once a year, you uh, tell the story in great detail. However, um, it seems to me that's not, that's not quite the case. And indeed, we're talking about two different concepts. Zichira is one thing, Sipur is something else. Zichira really means to live with a consciousness. It means we're conscious and we live our lives in the present. We live our daily lives at the moment, filtering everything through the experience of the fact that Baruch redeemed us. I'll give an example to make it uh, to make it clear. I'll take an example from the opposite extreme. Nothing which happens in the 21st century in Jewish life can, can escape or evade the consciousness of the Shoah. No matter what happens, be it the Iranian threat, be it the war in Ukraine, be it a bar mitzvah of a grandchild or a great-grandchild of a survivor, be it the fact that I teach an yeshiva which was established by a survivor, and so on and so forth, everything is filtered to the prism of 80 years ago, there was a Shoah, and our, it basically forms and forges our lives to this very day. Nevertheless, once a year, we set aside a day to try to listen to the stories, to, uh, to so to speak, to go back in time, to hear the memoir, to, to read the memoirs, to hear the testimonials, to uh, just to hear the story. And I think we're, we're trying to achieve a very different goal. The whole year round, I live as someone with a certain frame of mind. And Yom HaShoah, I try really to understand not quite to relive, but to understand and to re-experience, to recapture what happened over there then. It would see poor as an attempt to travel back in time. Zichira is to experience the relevance of the event of the past in the present. The whole year round, we live in the present. And therefore, we try to understand the relevance of the past for the present. Pesach night, we go back in time. If you want, Time comes to us. Behold, door vador, every generation, you have to feel as if you yourself are experiencing this. And the phrase that the Haggadah gives to, to prove this as a proof text, the Otanu Hotsimisham, he took us, us out of Egypt. And the Rambam's formulation, as if we just left, like we left 10 minutes ago. So Pesach night, we try to experience and to understand exactly what transpired then. And therefore, it's important and crucial to understand what was going on over there. What were they experiencing? What was the uh, level of suffering? And what was their mindset? What was their response? How could they cope? How do they deal with the suffering? And now, let's go for a moment to the source sheet. I will, uh, if you want, I'll try to... Uh, just a moment. I'll, I'll try to uh, share the screen. A second. I also put it in the chat, so everybody should be able to. Okay, fine. The chat beside there. Okay. Um, anyway, the, the, take uh, the last source. No, just just a moment, and, and nevertheless, I will do it my way. Just a second. Um, 
aumenta. Okay, here goes. Okay, if you notice here, the five, the the, the last source, basically the Haggadah. Oops, sorry, it's not here. Okay, excuse me, I'll, I'll, we'll get the sources then soon. I will, uh, quote, in the meantime, I'll just quote the Haggadah. The Haggadah tells us as follows. I'm in the middle, in the heart of the Haggadah, I will read it uh, orally. You have... We cried to Kadosh Baruch Hu. Because Baruch Hu heard our cries. He observed our suffering. I'm not going to translate that yet. And the pressure that we were being pressured. Chazal tell us. Amaleinu are the children. Shinemar, and what's the proof text? Every child, every male that's born, throw him into the river. And the females, you can allow to live. This is the this is the uh, Pasuk which the Haggadah quotes to tell us There are two questions here which are really one and the same. The word amal. Right, if that's what does amal mean? In contemporary Hebrew, we talk about amal as being hard work. It's a famous Zionist uh, song from about 100 years ago. So you talk about after hard days work in the kibbutz, a hard days work in the, settling the land, you get a well deserved rest. We talk about amalashal Torah. Right, uh, Chazal tell us, for instance, in if you follow my mitzvot, that you will toil and put in hard work in Torah. Obviously, it's positive. Right? The connotation is you steig, you spend a lot of time uh, putting time and effort into your learning in order that you should then be a talmid chacham, etc. Now, it's very straight. Now, presumably, we put a lot of hard work into our children. It's like saying, it's like calling your child your tzar gidulbani. It's a little strange, but you say, means the work, the effort, like if, if, if I'll translate it colloquially, our effort. Our effort, our children. It's true that we all put effort into children, I hope. Nevertheless, I don't think we call them our effort. Uh, it's, so it's a strange uh, phrase. Amaleinu elu habane. Now people talk about my nachas, my kaddish. They don't talk about my work uh, and my project, if you want. Uh, so it's just, now, uh, what's even stranger, though, is the, is the proof. What's the proof? Because the pasuk says that they should be drowned in the river. Now, it's, of course, it's, it's plausible to say Amaleinu is the Banim, and what happened to them, this tragedy. Nevertheless, the rest of the Haggadah doesn't do that. It always brings a pasuk to illustrate the linguistic usage. And in other words, if you say Amaleinu Elu Banim, you have to bring a pasuk that shows the word Amal connects to child. 
So the whole thing is very enigmatic. Um, and in order to understand it, let me say, state a word or two about the word Amalantanach. And here, one moment, I'll share a screen, a, a different one for a moment. Uh, um, in Tanakh, the word Amal does not mean hard work usually. It means work done in vain. It means frustration. Right? Amal, to, to be loosely translated, really means frustration. Or even worse, um, uh, for example, when Eov says, Adam Amal Yulad, man was born to Amal, he's not talking about that man has to work hard if you want. This is not a Puritan work ethic. He's not trying to tell you that man should work hard and then he'll be able to have, uh, to accomplish in his work, he'll be able to have a good salary, etc. Eov was talking about something else. He was talking about despair. Adam Amal Yulad, man is born to inherent frustration or Sisyphean in the the original sense of the word. You roll up this huge rock, which then comes down and rolls right back on on you. Amal is exactly that. Adam Amal Yulad, man is born to complete frustration and therefore despair. And Eov, of course, is illustrating his despair. Um, Now, that's the reason why Tanakh will always couple, well, not always, but often will couple Amal with Aven, Aleph, Vav, Nun. Let me, uh, let me show this for a minute. Here. I hope you have on the screen here uh, the, the search from the Barilan. Um, Lohibit, like, uh, uh, one of the most common techniques in, techniques in Tanakh is a parallelism. You take the same word or two similar words and put them in opposite sides. And uh, <clears throat> for instance, lichu niranana Hashem, nariya tsuyishenu. Like niranana is like nariya, Hashem is tsuyishenu. Nikadma fanav betoda, bizmira nariyala, and so on and so forth. It appears thousands of times in Tanakh. This structure, it's the most basic structure in Tanakh that you have uh, two sides. Uh, two sides of the same phrase, you have um, interchangeable words. Now let's take a look at Amal. Lo he beat Avin b'Yaakov, lo ra'ah Amal b'Yisrael. There's nothing wrong in Yaakov, and there's, no, there's nothing wrong with no frustration. Or take another, uh, take another uh, famous example. Here, you may shnotenu bahem shivim shana, vim bigrosh vanim man, man's time on earth is 70 years, and if he's a gibor, 80 years. Virahabam amal v'avid. What does the word rahabam mean? Rahabam, quite rashi, means his greatness, like the word rahav, broad. Quite even ezra means energy. Um, <laughs> Strength, whatever it means is Rahabal means your accomplishment, your achievement, your your capabilities. It's like this: you measure, like you measure the shivimish our days to accomplish the same eighty years. However, and this is another pursuit of despair. Rahabam, at the end of the day, the greatness is amal, or the accomplishment is amal va'aven. Why? Because we disappear from the discohelet. Kigazchish v'naufa, we disappear. So therefore, Amal Avin once more is unsuccessful. 
And uh, what's with there are many, many other such examples. Um, take the, the last one here. It is Kilo he wants to talk to you that man is to blame or God and not nature. So it doesn't spring out of the earth, Aven. And from the, from the earth, God designed man to be frustrated and despair. Okay, this is, uh, this is what we have in Amaleinu uh, Elo Abani. What they're talking about here is the sense of frustration of bringing a child to the world. The world is such an evil place, such a place of despair, that they don't see any point in bringing a child to exist in such a world. Who wants to give birth to a child in the ghetto? Who wants to bring a child to a world of genocide? To bring a child to a world which all they experience is constant evil, whips, suffering, people who have no future, no hope. There's no hope. Into a hopeless world, you don't bring a child. And that's what it says. Amaleinu are despair of the children because we cannot bring the children into a world of which is, lacks any hope at all, into a world of, of to a murderous world. And that's why he calls the Pasuk to prove that there's no hope. Now, I will share the screen once more. Um, excuse me, before that, let's, uh, let's, let's backtrack for a minute to the previous sentence in Haggadah. He saw our suffering, our uh, frustration, our despair, and depression. Now, let's go back to Onyeinu. If you all remember, the Haggadah says, Onyeinu, Zo prishut derech eretz means abstaining from sexual relations between husband and wife. What now? Why? So the word inui uh, only often refers in Tanakh to sexual relations, but it's much deeper than that over here. Vayaret onyeinu means in such a world who wants to give birth, who wants to conceive in the world of. Amaleinu, in the world of total despair, so no one wants to conceive. So therefore, because of Amaleinu, there's also Onyeinu. The the Midrashim also describes something else. Broken souls who simply lack the energy and the the, the mindset to to engage in romantic love. But but in, in the context over here, though, Onyeinu we will not bring children to a world of Amaleinu. Zoprishu derech eretz. Now, let's go so so to the Medrash. Um, here, it's, I'm going to the, the top source. It's a Gemara in Sota. Right, a, a person went to the house of Levi, maybe Amram. Lechan halach. Where did he go? Sigmar says he went to remarry. Why Tana? Amram Gedola Dorhaya. Amram was the leader of Am Yisrael. Kevan Shegazar Paroha Rasha. After Paro decreed, Kol Habein Hayilod Ayoratashlihu. In other words, the Pasuk that we spoke about before, 
Right, Chazal picked this up already. The moment Paro said, Amar, notice the phrase, Lashav Anu Amelin. This is exactly what I said before. The word Amal means work in vain. Lashav Anu Amelin. Right, we are working a Sisyphian work, in, in the original sense, in totally in vain. Lashav Anu Amelin. Therefore, he decided not to have a. Not have children. Okay, now the Midrash continues. I lack time to go. There. Now the, the Midrash then develops uh, a whole theme, which is this is part of a whole uh, series of Midrashim that the men despair and the women had hope. And that's why the Gula was brought about by the woman Sadikim because they were the ones who had the hope. It's symbolized by Miriam, who hides in the bushes and, and rescues Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a whole theme, but what's more, we, we lack the time at the moment to uh, discuss it. So I'll just point out that if you, if you go look at Dutch later on, you'll see that the Amaleinu is the mindset of the man, not of the woman. Let's go to the next source. The exact same thing, more or less, only a bit sharper. This is, if you notice, it's about three quarters of a daf after the first one. Those. Later on, the same uh, sugya. It talks the, the pasuk talks about Miriam and Aaron. Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister. A little strange, right? Achot Aaron Achot Moshe. She had two children. She had, she had two siblings. So the Amar of Amram, interesting. Amram. Uh, it was Amar of Amram that Miriam. This refers to the stage in her life when Moshe was yet to be born. This note, Miriam and the Achot Aaron, it talks about Miriam, who is a prophet at the stage in her life, and Moshe has not yet been born. She's only Achot Aaron. What was she saying? The theme of hope. Like she is, she's claiming that we will give birth to a child who should come to the world, because who makes the world a better place, who redeems the world. And Amram got very excited. Kevan Shalad Moshe, when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, the world, the house, excuse me, came full of light. In other words, Geula is always symbolized by, by the dawn. So I don't get very excited that she was right and he was wrong. It's not a world of despair, it's a world of hope. However, once more, when he was placed in the or to drown, Amad Avia Utfacha means I tapped or slapped them. His despair returned double. This whole like once more, it's a world of despair for children. And uh, now let's. Let me go back to the Agadah for a moment. If we go back to the Agadah, I'm backtracking a little, a little before. But we cried out to Kodesh Baruch Hu, because Baruch Hu heard our Koleinu. Once more, I don't want to translate on purpose. Um, and 
he noticed uh, or he witnessed Anyeno Amalein, what we spoke about. You know, the, the Pasuk talks about two things. Because we cried out to Kodesh Baruch Hu, Kodesh Baruch Hu listened to our cries. And because he was aware, or now why did he listen? Because he was aware of all the suffering. This takes him to a point which the Nitziv, also in his commentary on Agada, I quoted it from the parish of the Chumash, it was easier to uh, cut and paste. Uh, he, um, he makes a point here, which I, hear, which I hear from the Rav a few times, and the Rav also appears in his writings, uh, which is the following. Let's go to the Nitziv. His Hebrew is a bit flowery, but uh, we'll manage. Um, the Pasuk is like this. And the the Basuk mentions that Kadosh um, Baruch Hu did not listen to you and didn't pay attention. If you want, so the Nitziv is trying to explain the switch from Shama Hezin. The idea is Hezin needs to be attentive to listen carefully. Shama is to, does require such close attention. Those we'll say a word about that in a moment. Uh, what's in C's point? There are two forms of tefillah. Davin comes in many shapes, stripes. He wants to point out two basic paradigms of tefillah. Echad. Number one is a person, he doesn't, he lacks rhetorical skills. He can't properly articulate himself. But he cries from a bitter and suffering heart. What you, what you get is a shriek, not a, uh, nothing is organized. Nothing's properly articulated. He's just screaming from pain. That is what he calls the Mirut Halev. Kadosh Baruch Hu We'll get back to this in a moment. I'm skipping to the second uh, idea first. Um, Aval Yesh Tfilah She'ino Ba B'merat Halev this is the second form of tefillah, which is much more formal. It's properly articulated. You use all our rhetorical conventions and tricks. You use the skills of an orator. A poet almost. Now, but you are much, of course, you are less emotionally involved. You're not engaged. You're much more detached. He says, for instance, for somebody else, but differently, he's talking about an attorney over here. He's not talking about the, the previous model, he's talking about the mother of the defendant. The, this one's talking about an attorney. So he comes properly dressed. He comes, he's very formal. He knows the rules. He understands, he knows all the tricks of the trade, but he lacks the intensity and the passion of the, of the suffering individual. And now he then has all kinds of halachic. He has not, he has halachic uh, expressions for this, which are very interesting. To say it in sixty seconds, he thinks the formal tefillah has to be in Hebrew. 
that the only tefillah which can be not in Hebrew has to be passionate tefillah. Passionate or compassionate tefillah can mean any language. Formal tefillah in a formal setting has to be in Hebrew. He doesn't detail how you know which is which. The Chesam Sofer and the Tshuva has a similar idea. Chesam Sofer says very simple. Chesam Sofer has to be in Hebrew. In, in the individual private tefillah, when you talk to God and part of your heart, you can do it in any language. When the representative of the community prays for everyone formally, it has to be Dafkin Hebrew. Once more, the halachic idea is interesting, but I'm, I'm not dwelling upon that now, so we can continue. Now the Nitziv comes and says, now the, the paradigm themselves are pretty obvious. The Rav, a matter of fact, took us a step further. He takes the Pasuk, Shomea Tfilah Adecha Kol Basar Yevo. He, he who hears Tfilah, all Kol Basar approaches you. It's what we said in the beginning of Slichas, if you remember. Shomea Tfilah Adecha Kol Basar Yevo. The Rav interpreted Kol Basar, not all of mankind, all flesh, including animals. The, the Rav saw this like a, a trapped animal, an animal who's cornered by a predator. This is the, the way the Rav interpreted The shriek of the animal is, Shomet adecha It's a bit, uh, it takes the idea to an extreme, but the basic point is clear. That there's a, there's a form of tefillah, which a person simply cries. He can't articulate himself. Sometimes my, my, one of my daughters used to, used to call home, and when she was in a pressure, whatever, and she was crying, she was sobbing, I couldn't understand the words. I said, calm down. If you don't stop crying, I won't be able to understand your problem. But th- now that's true. I, but I understood that she had a problem, Dafka, by the fact that I couldn't understand, hear the words. And since the Kaddish Baruch who knows what the problem is without hearing the words, what you, what you accomplish is exactly that. The sense of how, how much... And, how much the sense of suffering and, uh, and pressure, you know, how much emotional pressure you're under. And, and this is exactly the point. Emotional tefillah doesn't require explanation or to articulate the problem. Let's go back to the Nitzvah. And this kind of tefillah, notice, koli, my, my voice, or my sound, is the way he wants to interpret it. Of course, now he the two different concepts. He thinks my voice is my tachanunim. In other words, the tachanunim, my plea, my my pleading with Kadosh Baruch Hu is the call. Is the very fact that I can't articulate myself. The very fact that I can only cry and I'm unable to express myself. That exactly is. And the tefillah. The tefillah is the very state of mind which you can't properly express yourself. The sounds without actually presenting the problem. And he takes us to our pasuk. In Egypt, what does it say? Because Baruch Hu heard our crying out, this is the kol levado. This is now basically, if, if you look in, the, in his Haggadah, he makes the same point over there also. And the, this exactly is the, is the point. If you talk about 
Amaleinu, Onyenu, Lachatseinu, total despair, no hope. Your hopes are shattered. Like Amram, you see a child being born and you believe there's light in the house, in the Jewish history, and then it's shattered. You lose all hope. And you have, you say, Amaleinu and Onyenu. And Amram feels that his despair is justified. That says in itself, that's exactly the condition, because Baruch hears your problem, he sees your suffering. Let's go to the Pasuk. Now, just one moment, I will, uh, just a moment, I will pull up a Tumor Pasukim and uh, we'll conclude with that. Um, just one moment. Uh, Okay, let's now see these psukim in their entirety. One moment. Here, I'm going to the psukim at the end of Shmot Perik Bet. Vayehi bayamim harabim ahem. When the suffering and the bondage went on and on and on for many, many, many years. Vayamot Melech Mitzrayim, right? And the king then, uh, the king died. B'nei Yisrael sighed a very a deep and a sigh of suffering. Vayizaku, they cried out. Vatal Shavatum Kimina Avoda. Vayishma Kimit Nakatam. Okay, now what's going on over here? This the, the psukim describe how there's no end in sight. It seems like this will go on forever. There's no uh, this told despair. Why, why is this? Why does the why does the psukim emphasize the fact that they cry out and they scream and yell at this point in the narrative? Now, of course, I could say it's a summary, right? The first two chapters of Shemot, which deal. With, with narrate the events of uh, the fact that Paro and enslaved B'nai Israel are over. The next pasuk will start talking about Moshe Rabbeinu who's being chosen at the snare. So this is, this is a recap, a summary. Uh, now, all that is true. But obviously, if you talk Midrash and not, or if you ask of an, another level, you, don't, you do not just want a summary. You want to think something pivotal happened at this point in the narrative that... Um, B'nai Yisrael all of a sudden begin to cry out. <clears throat> the reason seems to be pretty obvious. As long as, as, as the previous king, you always have this hope, like happened often in Jewish history and various times, that the problem is an individual problem. The ruler hates Jews. He's anti-Semitic. But you know, he will then, he'll leave the scene. The next rule will be different. Tsar A, is an anti-Semite, Tsar B, maybe more enlightened. There's hope that change of regime will somehow bring about uh, some form of gula, a relaxation of the suffering. The moment that the king dies and nothing of that happens, it tells you this, it, it's, it's in the system. This is not uh, the whim of an individual. This rather is the entire, it's the anti-Semitism ingrained in the system. And if a friend is despair, the moment the king disappears and, uh, and nevertheless, the anti-Semitic and the genocide policies continue, the genocide continues, 
it says to you that then you have deep despair, but you reach the depths of despair. Uh, the Nitziv has an interesting uh, comment. <laughs> and this, I guess, you have to live in uh, a different kind of uh, system of government to arrive at such a suggestion. The Nitziv says like this, they got a day off of work the day the king died, that the country was, uh, there was a sabbatical on, on, on the day of the funeral. Up to that point, they didn't have time to reflect, to digest their emotions. They were constantly chasing notes. They're running from one whip to the other. They, they, they didn't have time to process anything. The only, the, they got one day off, they begin to process. The moment they processed, they realized how bad the situation was. Up to that point, they were simply, um, didn't have time to think and to understand what's going on with them. Either way, the psukim reflected upon the depths of despair. I had a rough talk about this uh, as well, at least psukim. This is not tefillah. Tefillah is when you talk to God. Right? Tefillah always has someone who you're addressing. Tefillah, you don't scream into the void. Tefillah, you talk to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. The whole concept of tefillah is it's a conversation, it's a dialogue. You not mitpalel that you just scream. You mitpalel, you address someone, someone meaning Kalish Baruch Hu. Now, this is not what happens at the beginning. In the beginning, they simply express, it's an expression of suffering. It's a deep sigh of tremendous suffering, anguish. There's no, um, this is, they're not talking or they're not addressing anyone. They're just simply letting out, it's almost a physical reaction to the suffering, and the, <clears throat> now it continues. Vaizaku, they cry out of pain. And, and, and this, this first remember the Rav quoted that pasuk I mentioned about the animal. Vatal shavatam elokim. They're not talking to Kosh Baruch Hu. The, it's supposed to be like, like smoke rising to the sky. The, the, the tears simply rise to the sky of their own. Vatal shavatam. The whole landscape is full of tears and suffering and cries and, and, and wailing and sobbing. And therefore, it, of its own, it rises to the heavens of its own. It's, it's simply because Baruch Hu, you know what Steve said, Vayishma Hashem et Koleinu. Because Baruch Hu, now this, the second stage, Vayishma Lukimit Nakatam, Vayishkokimit Brito. Now, let, let me add a final point here. The word lishmoa in Hebrew of Tanakh, you have to translate it usually not to hear, but to understand. It has a dual meaning, both to hear and to understand, because you understand what you hear usually. But uh, its primary meaning is to understand. I'll give you two quick examples. Um, it says by Yosef, Paro says to Yosef, Shamate tishma chalom liftoruto. You will be shomea, a dream, to interpret it. Now, that doesn't mean you hear it. It means you understand. You will understand the dream in order to interpret it. Or another one, They were unaware that Yosef is shomea because he was an interpreter. What does it mean they're unaware that he was shomea? Not that he was hearing, he was hearing the syllables, of course. What they're unaware is that he understands. 
this means a great what Shema means comprehend or means listen and so on. And how do you translate Shema Hear, listen, comprehend, um, etc. Over here, and this is the point, they're not talking to Kosh Baruch at this stage. It means Kosh Baruch understood. It's not that they address Kosh Baruch Hu. Kosh Baruch Hu is own understood. Kosh Baruch Hu saw the suffering. He understood. And he decided to rescue them. And the final point that you have to think of on your own already, um, this model of Geula is a model when you redeemed, not because of your good deed, because of your loyalty, you redeemed because of the suffering. Sometimes Kosh intervenes because if he doesn't intervene, there'll be no one left to rescue. It's a model of, it's a paradigm redemption, what Chazal called Kulo Chayav. You may be in the 49 depths, pits of Tuma. You may be totally contaminated and corrupt religiously because Baruch will rescue you because of the suffering. Sometimes there's no choice to intervene. It's like a child. No matter how much he misbehaves, if you're going to lose him, you intervene. And this is the model here of Gula at this stage. Much more time is required to uh, see the steam through the rest of Sefer Shemot and the Gula, but... Uh, Unlike Rezor Azari and Rekiv and Bnei Brak, I don't have all night long to talk. So uh, I will conclude over here. And Chag Kasher Sameach. It's great once more to see familiar faces. Thank you very much. And Rezor Hashem, Lishana Bab Yerushalayim. Define Yerushalayim on Zoom at least. Chag Kasher Sameach. Thank you so much for Moshe Lichtenstein for this year. Um... Mr. Yulami, one quick sentence. Oh, oh yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I just said this. I quoted the Rebbe a few times. I heard about Pe, but it's a peer, a good deal of it appears in Redemption Prayer in Talmud Torah and, and the articles which appear in that tradition volume. So if you look up over there, you can see some of these ideas over there and the Rebbe's more philosophical language. Good night. <laughs> okay, thank you very much.